Oh, there you go. Live on Facebook. Okay. You said cut, bro. You said cut the recording off. Yep. Still up there.
We're gonna have to liven this up. Like, what? Oh, we here, yeah, we here. Yeah. My bad, my bad. I went there. Oh, we are in the building. Let me try this again. How y'all doing? What the? Y'all good. Free talk. What's up? How you doing? The only live one is the guest. Like, what we really at? What's up? I would like to thank everybody for joining us this evening. Welcome to the discussion with just Shana and friends. I'm really humbled to have you all here. All family, friends, guests, followers, new people, old people. I'm really excited about having everybody here. Um, before I introduce our guests, let me introduce our old but faithful crew. Started with Dookie. What's up? Ranting Rose. What's up? D Mays. What's up? What's up? What's up? How y'all doing? All right. <laughs> Black Sunday. <laughs> it is Black Sunday. Yep. But uh, we gonna make we gonna make it really, really, really I'm super excited as y'all can see already. Um so correction. into what? I said I got correction. Old but young cast. Miss <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miss Taisha the youngest one on here. I don't know. I don't want to put it How much old? <laughs> you can't tell a black people. <laughs> Years that old. Is that is so true. Where is um? Hold up. Let me see. Are we seeing everybody? Let me make sure that yeah. we see everybody. Yeah, we good. Let me. Uh, we're gonna have to live this. Up. Like, oh, we yeah, we yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. All right. So, um, with that being said, um, along with the introductions, I definitely want to introduce our guest that we have coming on this evening. I'm super excited about learning about this young lady, her thought process, and everything that she has going on. I've been hearing really, really, really good things about her. I know she's tuned into a couple of our shows, so I'm super excited about it. I love to see young Black people doing things, so I'm really honored just to have her on the show, and her name is Miss Taisha X6. How are you? Doing great. Such an honor to be here. Thank you, everybody. And I just, I love what you do. And it's an honor to be here with intelligent minds who are passionate about our community and, you know, providing constructive content. So it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Likewise. Okay. So, so what you said? I said, I said, likewise. Salute. <laughs> so um, basically, I wanted to give a couple of tidbits about um, our guest, Ms. Taisha Essex. Um, what people probably don't know is that she's the owner of her own business called Ty. Let me make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. Ty Monic Defense Solution. Yes. Okay. That is it. It's actually just a mix of my whole name. Like, you know, I found a way to take my hood name and, you know, brand it. So I was born Taisha Monet Essex and it's just Ty Monic. So that's me. So I found a way to make money off of my hood name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Shout out to everybody okay. with a hood name, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that is um, awesome. That is awesome. Um, I know people are already in here and they're asking what our topic is going to be. Um, so just give us one second while we introduce our, our guests and I'll let you know what our topic is going to be. Okay, so along with that, what is what exactly does your business do real quick? Before, because I'm, well, you know what? Never mind, because I'm going to allow you at the end to give yes. your black on business shout out. Okay, so along with that, you're a veteran. That's interesting. And what part of the, mil the military? Yes, I was in the Navy. I served five years, two months, and eight days in the Navy. And so, to the days, girl. Yes. 
proud proud diddy 214 so mental to tie with tying in with our topic with 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 what you will announce but you know mental health you know speaking from the perspective the perspective of a black woman veteran you know also you know coming from you know what our ancestors and what black people have been through in this country being a veteran and just our everyday struggles yeah it's i'm happy to kind of you know put my story and my insight on such an important topic so thank you all right, awesome. Okay, so Nick, a, lot, a lot. He's um, Nikki's also a veteran too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Nikki, I think you were what in the Air Force? Hell no, I was an Army. This is disrespectful. Oh, I guess to say hell no, like <laughs> I was an Army. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so along with that, um, you're a YouTuber. Um, how did how did you how did you come about being a YouTuber? What what exactly do you do on YouTube? On YouTube, I've grown into where I'm at now. And I started, my first video was because my son told me to do it. He said, he said, mom, you have a lot of advice. You, you know, a lot, you're just a nerd. Like I'm probably the only person that could sit and watch Jeopardy and get all the questions right. So he told me to make a YouTube channel. And that's exactly what I did. I've lived in Hawaii. I just, I vlog too, so that my family back home can see what I see. And then it just, it grew to where, you know, the evolution of Taisha. And uh, right now, um, I, my most popular videos is on self-defense, which relates to my business. You know, I, you know, teach people how to become hard targets through firearms ownership and things like that. And then I just blog nerd stuff like at museums and stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. So you, you say you help people um, register for firearms? Yes, um, I just, I, I am, this image, just this Black woman that we do, do not see on mainstream media where, you know, I shaved off all my hair, I go and shoot guns, you know, um, I, I cook at home, I learn about our history, I just do all these, I'm, I'm just presenting the, a, a Black woman that we are not commonly shown on mainstream media, and that's what my YouTube channel, Taisha Essex, is all about. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I might have to bring you back on for the um, registered gun ownership program. Maybe we'll do a, a show about that. That would be awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And then also it states that you have graduated with your psychology um, degree and then you're also in pub a public relations specialist. So what exactly, how do you tie both of those into what exactly is it that you do? When I decided that I wanted to go to school, um, Mr. Nookie T or brother Nookie T can, can vouch for this, that they'll tell you when you get out the military, you need to go to college, go to college. But the thing of it is, many of us do not know how to go to college. I joined the Navy at 17. I didn't even go to my high school graduation. I got done on a Friday and I was headed to boot camp on Sunday. So wow. five years later, when I got out, I had no clue how to go to college. Following uh, my tenure in the military, I became a police officer in Virginia, and I was actually in the streets. So I saw that a lot of the citizens I came in contact with had mental health issues. They were in like mental health crisis. And the, the inexperienced officer just wants to put them in jail, wait until they commit a crime and put them in jail versus understanding what they're going through and seeking mental health is, is actually a health crisis they're having. And so that's what, you know, prompted me to go to school for psychology so I can better serve the community that, you know, I was there to. Protect. So that's, 
And then once I got into psychology, the nerd in me, like everything just made sense. And that's when I came across Dr. Joy DeGruy and, you know, PTSS. And I was like, wow, I'm here. So shout out to the greats, uh, Dr. Amos Wilson, Francis Cress Welsing, you know, all of our great scholars who put in the work to help us as a people overcome some of the, the trauma that we've been through. Wow. And that's a great segue into actually um, giving what our topic is for this evening, because I don't think a lot of people know that not, and I've been saying it wrong, that it's not just, um, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month. It's actually National Black Health Awareness Month. So when I really went to, to dev into this topic and talk about it, I was really shocked that, um, you know, looking into a lot of things that we had that affects us as a culture, uh, we have some things to talk about tonight. So that's why I'm really excited to have you on and, and to even talk about it with, with our co-hosts together. So I'm going to be the first one to kind of shoot our, our question out so we can our begin our uh, uh, discussion. So the first thing, that I came up on when doing research under this umbrella topic of mental healthness, um, health uh, awareness within our culture is the stress that we deal with as um, children. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand within our culture when it comes to black children that we deal with different things than other children of other cultures. So what I wanna ask to you is, do you agree with that? And what, what do you think of some of the things that as a culture, that makes it stressful to be a black child in America. Absolutely agree with that. You know, a lot of us as adults, we're still trying to rationalize, you know, some of the abuse and trauma that, that we experienced coming up. And that's a topic that I've become very open with and transparent on my channel. You know, I was a child where, you know, my my parents believe in you know spare the rod spoil the child which is not in the bible but it's used to justify physical abuse on children and so that's that's a sickness that we have carried off the plantations you know you, you don't do that to children um we've experienced a lack you know lack of food uh inabilities to get this we were not, you know, taught valuable life skills as children compared to our, our counterparts. When you go to like, like other cultures, let's say an uh, Asian restaurant, you have the children counting money, you know, doing business, you know, learning stuff early on. And we're, you know, held back from that. So yes, we have a lot of, of trauma that we as adults, like us, us our age, and we're dealing with that, but we're trying to also make it better for our children and those of us who are grandchildren. I'm not, I'm happy to be, a, not to be a 35 year old grandma, you know? So we just, you know, breaking those, those generational curses and, you know, chains of dysfunction, you know, logically versus just praying about it or keeping it secret. And that's why platforms like this are so important to talk these things out so that we can get more people to connect and we all make a collective change. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I know you heard, I, I heard you um, specifically say that um, we don't put our children in our business um, early enough. Rose, I know you're kind of like our business head-minded person. What do, you, what do you think about that? You have to unmute yourself. <laughs> okay, so you're saying that we don't put our children in business early enough? Right. 
I'm going to agree with that. Um, you know, coming from a Haitian background, well, you know, my parents are Haitian and um, straight from Haiti. Uh, they came straight to the United States and opened up a business. And um, I'm going to tell you that come, raising up in a entrepreneurial household, it did put me in a mindset and in position to start my own business. Um, and learning these, these skill set early on does mold you into uh, a, a, you know, a professional early on that you can take on any task and, you know, it, whether it's corporate America or whether it's um, starting your own business, you're able to step out at 18 with that, with that mindset and with that skill set to go ahead and start on your own. So if we were, if we were to learn this as kids, cause you know, kids can sponge things up. Like they can sponge up any, anything that you give them. If we train them up early what we want them to be in the future, then, you know, a lot of our, our children will be skillful at that age where they can do just about anything. Um, you know, kids nowadays don't, don't apply themselves. And I think it's because at an early age, they, they didn't have, they didn't get a chance to apply themselves based on what they're really good at, you know, and cultivate that. Um, uh, D, what do you think about um, not teaching our kids enough early on how to have their own business can you hear me yeah can you hear me now yeah yeah i heard it i heard it. i had a question i mean i always say it's important you know what i'm saying that it's starting early i i will say it's you know best you know when they start understanding when they talk talking start teaching my entrepreneurship have like me i used to take my kids around when i've got clients and stuff they can see what I'm doing, you know what I'm saying? So they'll understand, like, you know, this is what they're doing, this is what we do, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's really important, especially in our community, you know what I'm saying? Like you're saying, different cultures, they do it all the time. Matter of fact, I know um, this Asian um, guy, he had a jewelry shop, and he had his daughters there all the time. And then when he, he died, guess what? Who's who running the jewelry store? His daughters, you know what I'm saying? They grown now, that's what they do. Yeah, we should do the same thing, I agree. Um, okay, I'm going to read one comment from Mr. Lee. He says, we don't teach our children finances at an early age. Um, now, the main reason why that happens is because the parents don't have a good sense of financially, a financial literally, literally enough, fin or financially literate enough, I'm sorry, to teach your children about money and ownership. So in other words, he is saying the reason why is because parents themselves are not financially literate. Um, and so it's, it's like, it's almost like teaching a cycle in reverse. So it's like, we're, it's like, because we don't have it ourselves, we don't know to give it to, or pass it down to our next generation. Nikki, what you have to say about that? I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, because you got to think about, cause like in our days, like when we're coming up, like our parents only did, they work with like mills, factories or whatever they can get jobs at. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. A lot of times they were struggling themselves, so you know they didn't have the time or the tools to really teach us to you know understand that you know if like you look at some of the histories like some of these documentaries or movies or whatever like the fathers they you know they what they do when it's kids get of age like well they got options either gonna go to school or you are gonna join the mill where we work at you know what I mean so it's like he didn't have too many options <clears throat> and they didn't have the resources or tools or information to teach us that you know how to navigate or man you know navigate or or can't even think of the words right now. Uh, uh, with the money set or just just how to you know overcome and be better. It's like their way of teaching or love or discipline became with like frustration and 
lot of stuff they was dealing with. So they really didn't have that, you know, that structure to really give us. You know, hopefully when they were sent us to school, we learned like in school from education or just, you know I mean, from the communities around us. Right, that that is so true. And um, I, so definitely I would have to say, you know, what are what do y'all think are some other elements that makes it stressful that a child could grow up with a mental illness or 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 develop into having a mental um, illness? Being that we were all black and we all grew up in America, so think about it. What are some things that, as a child, can contribute to having a mental um, illness? I mean, you can look at. I think, okay, you go. Queens first. I think. Um, I think um, when when children are not when when they don't have uh, when they're not given the opportunity to express themselves. Yeah. That I, I think that when you suppress someone um or, or suppress their you know their their inner inner being and things like that and and they're not able to exude who they are i think that can cause stress within within the child's body and within their mind uh, and then having to go back and forth of what they can and cannot do a lot of times you know we tend to mistaken like a, a vibrant child as being um too much and too extra that we we tell them, hey, calm down, you know, and and they have they they they're trying to figure out why do I need to calm down? I'm happy, but we tend to look at it as you know, as a right time or a good, you know, as a right time to 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 be a certain way and things like that. And I mean, I mean, I do believe that some children need to like tone it down a little bit, um, but that's just identifying who they are and then um, being able to pull that out of them, maybe putting them into some type of activity where they can, um, um, you know, exude all the, that energy that they have. Usually we tend to mistake in their energy for ADD and things like that, where we diagnose them with something. And I don't feel that any child um, is, is, is mentally ill. It's just that you need to know what that child needs. And then you put them into that activity where they can go ahead and express themselves. That's what I feel. But having to suppress a child in their, in their, in their character and who they are, I think that pretty much stresses them out. Right. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to leave the last comment for this um, for our guest, Ms. Taisha. So what do you think ultimately could cause to uh, a child to have stress growing up that can develop into a real mental issue? One thing that I did not learn or one term or condition I did not learn about until I was actually in the military, but it applies to us in the black neighborhood with our children is separation anxiety. Oh. And that is one, now separation anxiety is it, how it relates to the military when a parent goes off on deployment, you know, and the child and the family is separated. And they actually have a special pay to compensate that family for that, that absent parent. And in our communities, we, we, we normally have a, or I won't say normally, but it's not uncommon to find a child that lacks one parent. And so they're miss, how you would label them as being, you know, bad or misbehaving or acting out, they're experiencing separation anxiety and they just are not receiving the services to, to cope with that or to overcome that or the family therapy is not there to, you know, 
bring both sides of that of the parents together so that, so that it lessens that separation anxiety on that child and that can absolutely lead to you know codependency issues later on in life and that cycle can can continue so that's one major thing that i see is the separation anxiety and and to add to that which i don't think a lot of people really talk about as well is the family dynamic that goes along with that if two parents are not together you have one parent playing games, using the child as a pretty much a, a tug of war, like, no, you are going to see them or no, you're not going to see them. Um, that definitely, I think, impacts our culture as a whole. It impacts the child, definitely. That leads into trust issues, anticipation, anxiety. So these are definitely some things that I don't think a lot of other children outside, I'm confident to say, don't deal with as much as within our culture. So um, that's why I like having conversations like this because, um, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was gonna add on to that because you know, you gotta look at some of the sister raising like, look at some of the kids and environments and uh, communities they grew up in. Cause you know, sometimes the parents or stepdad or dad may, may be an alky or junkie or whatever, or just going through like emotional, emotional trauma because hand me down to generations and, and generations, they be told, oh, you're never going to be nothing or you're never going to be nothing. Sometimes they go to school and they might be falling behind because the stress at home they deal with and stuff they mind be overwhelmed with so much stuff going around. Sometimes the teachers tell them like, oh, you know, you might as well just give up. You're not going to never amount to be nothing in our life anyway. You, ain't, you know, you don't do nothing. You come to class half time, you sleep. Or, so sometimes when you're around a certain environment, whether you're in school, at home or around some community, sometimes people around you kind of, you know what I mean, injecting that and they kind of like build that and put it in your mind that maybe I'm not going to be nothing. Maybe, you know what I mean, maybe what everybody's saying is true. You know what I mean? So you got to look at it on that broad level too. I think, I think as a culture, we don't have our, we don't have our village mentality anymore. So we can literally be seeing our next counterpart drowning and we don't have the mindset anymore as a culture to step in and save anyone. Everybody's just kind of like, They've, they've created this thing where we don't have a village, man. It takes a village to raise. We don't have that anymore. And so I definitely think overall that has impacted us as a culture. Okay, so moving on. One more thing I want to say real quick. I know we got to move on. But one thing we didn't touch on, we should always touch on, it's like it's taboo in the black community. Black, uh, kids get molested. They mm. mess up a child. That To me, that's like one of the worst things that can happen to a child. They have to mess them up and cause them to have all kinds of problems they grow up as a dope, you know, become a rapist. Well, I mean, that's that's actually one of the topics that, you know, victim of violence. So okay, that's what we're gonna cover when we get down there. Cool. All right. All right, so um, moving on to Rose, you have one of your topics or statements that you wanted to bring to the table, which included... You have to unmute yourself. <laughs> Who's muting everybody? <laughs> well, I don't know, but I want to get used to this. Um, family problems. Family problems. Um, yeah, it's one of the, the, the topics. I, uh, I, think one, I think one of you guys um, mentioned it. Um, you know, when, when a family have problems, that can stress out a, a child as well. Um, when um, parents are constantly fighting. Because, you know, as a child, what they always say, you know, um, as adults, they always say, you know, you, you, you know, have a mind of a child or you you know you have a heart of a child children um they don't know the way of the world they don't know like you know they don't know 
um, any of the negativity that we go on as adults. So we all, they want the best. So when they see parents fight, I remember when I used to see my parents fight, that used to devastate me. And it's like, you guys are supposed to love each other. So if they see parents fight or disagree or, um, or anything in that sense, I think that having family problems, I think that stresses out a child because they want the best. Because in their world, if you remember when you were a child, you, you, you thought everything was all, you know, rainbows and, and, and stars and moons and everything. You don't, you don't know of, of all the negativity that you see of the world. So when you see that in your own home, it tends to stress you out. And I, I think, um, having family problems do stress out children. What do you have to say about that, Miss Taisha? What do you feel about the family um, uh, dynamics or problems causing to overall our culture's um, mental health issues? I totally agree with what Sister Rosa Lord stated. Like, yes, when, like, when children are not able to enjoy that childhood innocence and they're put into adult shoes, whether it's the oldest, the oldest child having to take care of the younger children, or um, you recall, everybody's familiar with the autobiography of Malcolm X, you know, everything was his way of life until, you know, he started seeing the issues between his parents and when his father died, his mother, her, her mental issues, and that carried to him to where he was an adult. And was he still remembered that teacher telling him to be a carpenter instead of a lawyer? You know, these these things, you know, affect children when they're snapped out of their innocence and their imagination where, you know, there's limitless, limitless possibilities to, you know, reality and, you know, stressing about things that they should not have to stress over that they should 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 be protected from. So absolutely. And then I. I think also too when it comes to because this isn't really just geared this particular topic isn't just geared towards children when we talk about family problems let's talk about the absent fathers who try to come back let's talk about the the mothers and the fathers who can't get along let's talk about the mother the mothers and the sisters that don't get along and the uncles who who might have put their hands on some nieces that they shouldn't have and you know, all these things that go on within our community. The one thing that I want to say that I definitely want to put out there is that this is not, even though it might be prominent within our culture, it's not exclusive because mm. they will try to promote it like, oh, that's only a black thing that happens. So I don't want people to get the message misconstrued like, okay, we're just put coming on here, making it seem like it's just exclusive to our culture. No, we are just talking about the issues because these are some of the issues that do come within our, it just so happened to be within our culture. Nikki, how do you feel about that? The family dynamic and the family problems. Do you think that could be an issue that causes some type of me mental issues? Yeah, I really do. I mean, because in the day, like, you kind of like as a kid, you you stuck in the middle because you don't really know what side to really take. You know what I mean? Because you really don't know the history of your parents. You don't really know what they. You know what I mean? You only know what you know. And you know what I mean? When you get around safe fences, like if it's like you have household problems, or you in the household with one parent, or you know your father, you know maybe absent to your stepfather. Only thing you're gonna know if you really had no re, um no communication and no type of history with that one one member. You know what I mean? It's like you only gonna go by what you was told or what you think. And then, to you actually down the line, you may, you may, may not meet the other, you know, other biological parent. You know what I mean? And you know, it's going to be their truth. 
you know what I mean? But you don't know whose truth it is. You become confused. You like, you really don't know what to believe. You don't know if this person been lying to you all your life because you like, I've been loving this person with all my heart and come to find out they might tell you a lie. Then when you confront them, it's like, I was trying to protect you. Then you know right. what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? It, it, it's so much. Then now you got to go on in life and trying to find your own way and you mm-hmm. lost the trust issue within your house and your foundation because you don't know if this person telling the truth, that person telling the truth. And you got to look at the whole world and what direction I'm going through because I've spent my whole life trying to do everything to make you happy. But then in the end, you end up lying to me. Then I don't even know what happiness is no more because now they, they lost identity of who they are. Well, I'm, I'm going to be a little transparent because like this story, what you're telling, this example as well as like exactly what I'm dealing with at this moment. So it, you, my mother passed away when I was almost two. So every story that I've heard of her was through other people. And they have all been great and wonderful stories. I'm not gonna go into detail about the things that I've heard, but I now that I'm older and I see certain things and I'm learning certain things, I'm like, okay, so I'm starting to gather that everything wasn't told within truth. And going to certain family members, I'm like, hey, you know, let me ask you about this. Let me ask you about that. They were totally taken back. They were like, what are, why are you searching for information? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm trying to find out some things that just I need to find out for me moving forward as a woman that I need, that I can't get. And unfortunately, I can't go to the source because the source is gone. So... If I'm coming to you within truth, it's like, I think families have this idea of like, oh, let me harbor this secret into protecting the family or the person. But what they're doing, I feel as though they are cooking it and then they're just creating it to, it's almost like a fungus making it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. How do you feel about that, Rose? Sorry that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, oh, can you guys see me? I'm gonna agree with that, Um, what you said. Hold on, I'll get back to you guys. All right, Um, D, how do you feel about that situation? Um, Families holding secrets, better yet, let me ask, um, let me ask Miss Taisha, how do you feel about that? Family holding secrets. That is uh, a common, term that I heard from my mother she said that that the elders would the quote was they they told lies and kept secrets you know so (laughs) when certain things would come out it's like okay wow a lot of stuff was hidden until one of the elders got really old or got really drunk and revealed some stuff because they was mad (laughs) you know (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) <laughs> you, you learn Uncle Jody is really your daddy. You be like, what? Color purple, <laughs> right? Color purple. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It is that, that also too. Like a lot of stuff that happens within the adult. Like this person may be cool with this person, but then they'll get mad at them, and then they'll just go tell the child, you know, you were adopted or your daddy smoked crack anyway, or something, something like that. You know, they'll just kind of say something out of spite and really damage that, that child versus, you know, building up each other's character and holding, holding the elders and the olders to a higher standard so that, you know, the younger ones are not observing all this dysfunction and repeating 
And then we have to say this too. I'm going to read one of the statements. Mr. Lee says, um, a common statement that is told normally within our culture is what happens in this house, they stay in this house. That is such like a bad I, that I don't even know where to even start with that. What you know what? Doing? You can go in deeper. But, you can even go but in wait, deep. but I mean, but What's, what happens in this house stays in this house. Isn't it? Is it safe to say to, that everything stays in the house, or should we talk to someone outside of the household? I think. I think when it comes to that statement, and 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 in particular, I think it needs to be really formulated. So, in other words, this is what I tell my boys: You don't need to come tell me every living thing that your brothers are doing, unless. It has to do with their health, their safety, and their sanity. That's when you come and tell me. So I think as I think we need to keep that, but not at the expense of if it's at somebody's risk of, of health mentally, physically, or spiritually. I think that needs to be stated. But how do you tell a child that when they when they don't know? Like for instance, what happens in the house? I have nephews and they they, I mean, they run their mouth like water. I mean, even if you didn't even ask them for the information, they're going to tell you. So how do you tell a child what? But how do they differentiate? How do, how do they differentiate that? There will be a situation that may happen that they can, um, like, say, for instance, I tell my children, you don't have to go to school and tell them, um, I don't know, let's give them an example. You don't have to go to school and tell them that you're going here or you're going here or the or mom broke her this or not going to work. You don't have to go to that to go tell what we're going through in this house unless you feel unsafe, unhealthy, and at risk. So you literally have to go into detail and tell them. But I also tell them that you just don't run out and literally tell everything. You understand like oh mommy got a new boyfriend or daddy got a new girlfriend like that's those certain things they need to learn and you just have to kind of correct them as they go hey just you got a comment from sweet talk sweet you see that yeah and she says um nothing wrong with keeping the business in the house but uh but the issue still needs to be addressed that's what i just said okay they i think you just have to teach them which things are okay to say and which things are. I, and I think if you teach them, like, you know, the specifics, if it, if you feel unsafe, unhealthy, unhappy, that's when you need to tell somebody. I mean, we, we can go, like, back, you know, I used to girls, I used to date, check this out. I date plenty of sisters who told me that a lot of them have been raped and molested. And I'm putting it like this. 80% of the women I dated, sisters told me that. You know what I'm saying? And, like, they brothers... They, they, they fathers, they cousins, you know what I'm saying? That's ha that happened in the black community all the time. I, I think we still kind of keep it quiet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we, we started to talk about it, but still, it's still like taboo. You know what I'm saying? In, in our community. Yeah. All right. So um, kind of moving on for that, I'm going to read one last statement, and then we're going to move on to Nookie. I think he has something to say. Robert, um, Lisa, it's the reason why that statement goes on in the house, stays in the house, came from the fact that the only thing that black people had was their name to save faith and to save embarrassment. 
there were things that were damaging and dysfunctional, but you didn't take it um, outside of the house to save face for the family. So I, I get it. I understand it. You know, nobody wants to be embarrassed in front of people. So if you have problems within your family, you know, you keep it in your home. But I think I think it gets misconstrued when it's not specifically stated because a kid could say, well, take that and be like, so I keep everything to myself. So I don't think we should. All right, Nikki, uh, moving on, bringing to the table, uh, you're talking about victim of violence. Yeah, um, with the topic, of, you know, with the whole mental health health issues with the family and, you know, dealing with community and everything, how does that affect us, like, you know what I mean, as a person individually, like the, the victim of violence, like you grow up seeing violence do that, you know what I mean, that, that transpires with you as you grow older. Some people, you know, inherit it, you know what I mean, because this is all they was programmed to see growing up. So, and, you know, they become a reflection of what, you know what I mean, of what they, they grown. So, you know what I mean? How do you break this? How do you know I me? Mean? How do you change this narrative? You know what I mean? There's no programs out there, you know, the structure for, you know, like people of many races of many backgrounds, you know what I mean? So how do you overcome these things? Because sometimes it'd be like, um, how do I want to put it? Like, you probably have less like, you know, I ain't gonna say type of, you know, killers or, you know what I mean, people that cause these type of crimes if they had some kind of, you know, help or in whereabout, you know what I mean, in, in early stages. Like, you know, like you said, like growing up with these kids, they go to school, they sit in the back of the back of the bus. They probably outcasted, you know, people pick on them because what they look like, their clothes or, you know what I mean, they don't know what they're going through. Teachers not really getting in, you know, in details with it. Like back in the days, they used to sit down after information, but if you open your mouth and say certain things, you know, you bring people, different people to your house, then that's a different type of punishment. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do you overcome these things? And you know, me, it becomes like it's like saying it becomes like a, a small circle, like a continuous circle, like a victim of violence. It's like how do you how you break that? Okay, I want to kind of direct this question to Miss um, Taisha. Being that you were in the military, uh, have you witnessed or have you been a part or been aware of any type of victim of violence in that type of you know arena? And what are some things that you're seeing people coming out of that um, that experience? What type of mental illness is being affected from that? I would say the one thing I noticed when I first went in, it was like you had to prove how tough you were. So you had to, you know, suck it up when it came to getting cussed out or you had to exercise until you felt like dying. You know, I know brother Nookie T can relate to that, you know, and I, yeah. I've heard stories of y'all going down range and stuff. But um, one of the things that, you know, I witnessed early on, my rating or the field that I worked in, it was primarily male dominated. And so it was, you know, certain comments that were made. And of course, being a, a young adult in this, this area where, you know, these guys, they would cuss each other out. They would say bad words. But then with me, my mother always taught me if someone calls you the B word, it's time, it's ding, 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 round one. So the first time I was called a B word, it was ding, 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 round one. And uh, it was on. But, <laughs> but um, I'm proud to see that I've heard that um, those who are going through basic training now, they have these things called stress cards where, you know, if they're feeling, you know, they've been, been pushed to their limits, they can, you know, call the training timeout. Also, too, it's now 
you know, you can receive monetary compensation and treatment for it as a veteran. Um, just recently, um, military sexual trauma is, you know, a disability that is, you know, you can be, be compensated and also receive treatment for it. Also, uh, PTSD and PTSD did not only occur if you were in the sand overseas, it occurred right here in the US, different things that, that you go to and that impacts a lot of us. And I'm, I'm really happy that platforms about mental health, you know, because these things, it changes your, your psyche, it changes you as a person. And it doesn't make you a bad person because there's people that I knew who were in the military who were missing teeth, who had gingivitis and all types of stuff happening. You know, they would go to, to dental, but neglect your mental health. And I'm happy that now mental health is being pushed and it's a requirement in addition to your physical health and, and also your dental health and stuff like that. So let me ask a question. Would you, would you say it's fair to let's give a percentage of people who are getting into the military because I know a lot of people in the military and it seems like every single one of them that I know come out diagnosed with some mental illness. So my thing is, is it safe to say like going into the military, you're kind of walking into a brigade of welcoming mental issues long-term? Um, that that would be a, a good question. Like I can't say everybody, but I would say when many of us joined, we were 17 and 18. So you are you will not come back home the same person, whether you do three years, five years, 25 years, you're not gonna come back home that same person because we're growing into adulthood. We experience things that had someone who stayed in our hometown and just went to college. Yeah, they'll have their experiences, but there's a lot of escapism, you know, you know how people, they, they, they pick up habits like, like tobacco and drinking and, you know, excessive, I'm not saying tattoos are bad, but a lot of people, you know, they display their pain through their art, you know, or their behaviors. So it's just that you're not coming back home the same person. And also too, like we've been in a time of war, like we're not just going into, in, we're just going to a new, new job. We're going to go fight a war and we are our numbers to get that mission accomplished. We're not individuals. We're missions to get a mission done. Okay, Mikey, before you say something real quick, let me read this one thing. So hold on and remember it. Um, this is from Sweet Talk Sweet. Um, they say, uh, we have to develop skills that allow us to deal with obstacles effectively. When the skills are not developed, developed we may slip into coping mechanisms mechanisms that are counterproductive to our overall situation i agree um nikki what do you what do you have to say on this situation i mean i, I agree with, i agree with what miss exa said because you know like sometimes like uh, a lot of these kids you know what i mean like um they background they come from small areas they don't you know what i mean they don't see this real life some of them come from areas that shoot, they ain't even they, they don't have black people in the area some people come from areas they don't even got you know, Jews or white people in the areas. You know, sometimes they just see the stuff off of TV, off of, of YouTube or something like that. So you gotta take some people's like in some backgrounds, whether male or female, when they put on that uniform, it's like, you don't have control over yourself no more. You stand at issue, so you don't have no say so. And you gotta take some of these people, like when you watching that at home or in the movies or theaters, it's different, you know, in your mind, you're like, if I was in this situation, da, 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 da. But when they actually put you in that sandbox, 
and, and it's in this crunch time is real you got to depend on the person to your left and your right and you don't even know where they psyche at half the time and you're gonna see people you're gonna see a lot of people fold you're gonna see a lot of you're gonna see a lot of some of everything and it does mess with you because you're gonna see situations where some of these people might not make it they're gonna lose limbs you're gonna see it's real life you know what i mean and it become trauma to you like with me like when i was going through training you know what i mean it didn't really affect me because i felt like well I grew up in a single parent household, so I was used to getting cussed out and yelled at. So it didn't really, you know, really bother me. It just you just got to know how to nar- navigate through that. But then when you, but you, you even know, saying that statement is not right. <laughs> I mean, that, I say that was that for me. That's what I would tell myself. Yeah, you know but I mean? I'm like, but that, but imagine how many other kids feel yeah. like that's normal. That's not normal. <laughs> I mean, it, be, it became a norm for me when you grow up in a situation that becomes your normal. Right. You know what I mean? know, so, and I get it, but. But what my statement and my proving that is like to say like that we say it with such ease, but in reality, that's not, it's not normal. I was a product of my environment. So, you know what I mean? My mind frame was wired differently, but you know what I mean? But honestly, when I went to wartime, it's like when I was over in the box, I ain't gonna lie, you know what I mean? I seen a, a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, some of it came back with me. Some of it didn't, some of it I learned how to block out. But like she said, when she was trying to um, debrief and come back from over there, there's no programs. There's nothing they offer you on the table to help you debrief or to get you past. There's no psychiatry. There's no, you know what I mean? Gonna, it's going to be like a basic little test. They're going to ask you like a couple questions and send you on your way. That's it. I, you, don't, you don't think there should be like, um, and this isn't particularly speaking with the, the military, you don't think there should be like a way to ease everybody back into society? It's just kind of like they pluck you out, do what they need to do, and then throw you back in. And it's like, okay, goodbye. Yeah. That's how it works. You you would think you would think it'd be better than that, but it that is really is like you just said. It's pretty much it is what it is. They get what they need out you after they done with you. It's like you know why you in there and you under that cold. You know yeah, they're gonna take care of you. They're gonna make sure you straight because they need you for that mission or whatever they need you for. But then once you get out, it, it's it, it is 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 it is what it is. Only way you learn stuff is through people who've been through there. Or you know what I mean some people might give you information as long as you go, and it might take years. Like you know I've been out for about. Some years, like almost 20 years now. But it's like um I'm still learning, you know what I mean? And it's been crazy. Like, you know, you go to them, they don't give you advice, they don't give you no help, it's always a runaround. So it's like you learn a word of mouth. And if you okay. ain't looking it up. Let me give another scenario because we're talking, we're talking under this umbrella of mental um health issues within our culture. We're talking about the victim of violence. Um, so in particular, because we're now in a whole movement because of being victim of violence when it comes to the police brutality uh, on our culture. How do you think this is adding to our mental health issues? Not only just for men now, because women getting killed too. So how do you think this is adding to our, our, our mental health? Somebody. <laughs> uh, it's, it's- it's levels, it's like level on top of like we didn't even figure out the first stage yet, so they just piling it on. It's like you're going to a buffet that's piling your plate on, you just gotta hey. Let me ask y'all a question. Do you feel safe when you get behind your wheel now? Eddie and to say uh what your your previous question was is that um with the violence that we've learned over time and things like that, one important thing that I see that is changing, there's a changing of the guard. And I don't want to, you know, disrespect anybody or anything like that, but the civil rights era 
those of that generation, they are becoming ancestors. We were raised watching black and white films of dogs attacking women, fire hoses being turned on black men and women. And we were taught to turn the other cheek to accept that, to love your enemies. And that was absolutely the worst advice to people who are, who are being wrong. And the one thing that I see that is changing, there's a new generation out now. And that has been evident since the, the slang of George Floyd. We are taking control and stopping this thing called learned helplessness. And what's affecting mm -hmm. us as Black people is this learned helplessness. I ain't heard that one before. Exactly. Right, I'm going to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> learned helplessness is when you just... When you learn, when you get comfortable being a victim, you get comfortable not fighting back. And that's one thing that is coming to an end because the civil rights generation, they're phasing out and this new breed of us is in and we're not taking no no crap, okay? I'm gonna say that words. Okay. Hey, I wanna ask you a question. I'm ask you a question. Yeah. Why do you think that was one of our teaching tools then? Like, why do you think that was even cultivated as being a learned behavior. Oh, if they hit us, turn the other cheek. Like, where did that even come? Like, why? The Bible. <laughs> the Bible. Slavery. Slavery. That's that's Slavery. how you see when you see the this this country this this whatever is going on this system. And I don't know if you say this term on on your channel, but how the wheels keep spinning is because of like people are banking billions off of black dysfunction Ooh. it's learned helplessness or stock <laughs> but they're banking billions off black dysfunction so as long as you keep that dysfunction amongst us going you're going to make money when you look at what's on mainstream media we see what's happening when you notice when you share something of drama on Facebook, it gets a bunch of shares. Banking billions off black dysfunctions. And I said it first, I'm gonna write a book about it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me can I ask the question, y'all. Yo, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I want it's funny you brought in something about civil rights, and I gotta say it. I'm gonna show some respect. Y'all know how I get down. I know I kinda quiet down today, but yeah, um, John Lewis. John, no, John Lewis, right? You know he was a civil rights activist, he died and He's a pretty, he's a pretty, he's an icon here in Atlanta, or whatever. But somebody brought up the, somebody brought up a question saying, okay, did the civil rights hurt us or help us as black people? And really, you getting beat in the bridge in Alabama, was that really something that motivate black people to do better? I mean, that was somebody else said, not my words. Did the civil rights, did the civil rights era hurt the black people? They hurt us mentally and physically. I'm going to say my little piece before I let y'all chew this up. I'm going <laughs> to say I feel like it was appropriate for that time. I feel like yep. they did what they needed to do that was conducive for their time. Yep. So was, it, was it correct for their time? Yes. What what they were doing, it was, it was considered radical. They were going into white-owned establishments and just it was peaceful but it was also radical. So I think it was imperative for that time. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, at that time. Ooh. it. But we see that mentality of now with this whole Black Lives Matter and then you trying to keep the civil rights mentality here, it's totally different. It's, it's a different battle. We've been saying yeah. 
at, at that time they began shit done. You know what I mean? Now it's like I don't know what happened. That fire kind of like simmer down a little bit. Right. And now um, can take over too. <laughs> for real. Okay, so moving on um to D, um, before you know, your yours is you're talking about the hereditary involvement when it comes to um uh, mental issues within our culture. What do you have to say or, or ask about that? Taisha, I'm just gonna ask this simple. I'm gonna say, do you believe mental illness is hereditary? Because a lot of people say it is, some people say it's not. I would say hereditary. I would say yes, like like the chains of dysfunction and you know, mental health things can pass on. Like we know in, in the realms of like, you know, schizophrenia. That's why when you go to like a mental health clinic, they'll they'll ask, Do you have a history of this, have history of alcoholism, history of this in, in, in your family? I absolutely do believe that some people can be predisposed to, you know, mental health health issues, especially and and it can fester and get out of control if you have a, a family history of not seeking the appropriate treatment. The one thing that is, you know, the most common prescription that is commonly prescribed in the black community is Jesus. And I'm sorry, they say that the church is, is a hospital. You go to church, be, I mean, you, you go to the hospital because you have something afflicting you that you need to get back to normal. And you go there real quick, get your prescription or get patched up, and then you leave in hopes of not returning. But they think the church is the hospital to keep coming back and you have the same issues for an entire generation. It keeps passing on. There's no real, real tangible solution. Yeah. What? How do you feel about that, um, Rose? She's on mute. How do you feel about that, Nikki? Until she gets off. I mean, I, I agree with her. You know what I mean? Because it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fact that she put out there. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I totally agree with her. Right. Rose, are you on yet? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm on you. No, I agree. I agree as well. Can't expound on that. She got that. <laughs> right. I think hereditary. Um, I I do agree. I do agree. Um, I think I think a lot of times we don't look at ourselves as having issues. So I think what would help, you know, along that field, knowing that you have an issue or a mental Ill illness is to be aware that whatever life that you're bringing in to the world has a jump on help or possible help. So in other words, I don't think we do a lot of looking forward when it comes to our children, especially if we have mental illness. I don't think people really think that it's hereditary because it's not like a physical attribute you know, they think, but it is a physical attribute. You know, it, it, there are mechanisms in your body. There are, you know, chromosomes and things like that that do affect it. Um, and so I would just, my add on to this piece would be, um, it's, we don't look enough at our seeds and say, hey, let me just be careful. Let me look out for it so I can have a jump on it so they won't get so late in their help like I was. You know what I mean? So um, I, don't, I don't think we know how to identify it. I think that's what it is. Is it's like it's like it's either this or that. Like especially if you're growing up in a in a Christian um, household, what they always say, you got the devil in you. 
What's wrong with you? You know, and yeah. they'll try to pray it off. But you know, and 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 you know, they I don't think they know how to identify it. Yeah, that could be the possibility too. You know, that could that could be a possibility. And I think as a culture, we depend too much on people outside our culture to tell us what's wrong with our kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they don't understand that not all the times they have their our children's best interest at heart. They're just willing to slap a um, a diagnosis on them and stick a prescription in front of them and just be like, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? So that's why I feel like even as a parent or a, a, a involved family member, you definitely don't want to just depend on people to tell you what's wrong or you, you got to get out there and do some footwork, basically. All right, moving on from that, from the hereditary statements, um, when it comes to that, um, stress-related work. This is this is something that I want to bring to the table because people don't really talk about this, but, you know, and I try to explain this to people in certain, and definitely in certain forums of work. You can, I think there's so much pressure because you, when you wake up in the morning time, you are who you are. But everybody knows when you go to a work field where a lot of the people don't look like you, you kind of like automatically switch into what that what you think they need in order for you to get what you need to get done. And that is stressful in a whole. It's not you trying to be fake. It's just because you don't want to be fucked with. <laughs> and you just trying to hit, get here and get your job done. So, and I'm just going to keep it 100 working in the, in the educational field. We see it all the time. You know, you have to speak a little bit clearer. You, you, you definitely don't want to come off as the angry black woman. If you even disagree with one thing. And I don't think other cultures get it that, um, y'all don't have, they don't even have to understand that they have to switch themselves. Do you know how many people we have to switch ourselves into? just to fit into our day. So what? Do, how do y'all feel about this when it comes to the workplace? Like I say, um, <laughs> we at work, but they say, we, especially at Carlson, you got your white boy, got your <laughs> white boy. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but. <laughs> Basically, this is how it is. You got to, you know, sometimes you got to play your position, you know what I mean? Because sometimes like when you too strong or you too, you know what I mean, opinionated or you, you just know your stuff too good, you become a threat, you know what I mean? They, they going to try to get you out, especially if you work environment where they kind of like, sifting and playing around or whatever and you kind of know the information in detail like and they've been there and you've been there a short period of time and you you grinding like you become a threat you know what i mean not just you know what i mean all around the place so it's like Nick sometimes Cannon. it's hard big cannon <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> why would you have to bring him into this, that's, this that is, i mean that's, that's actually a good example though yeah yeah it is but i don't i mean did you all see a visual of him taking it back or did you hear him taking it back. I think I ain't heard. It. I think if he, if he, I just think if he did, I don't think he did it as necessary on his part. I think because you know he got a lot of people under him that you know he got to look out for. So if he did, you know what I mean, just to look out for their careers and their future, their platforms. You know what I mean? Because he's like, I right. Nobody ain't talking about that, but he, he, you know, you got to look at that part. He brought a lot of people in, right? And you know, he's responsible. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, some, some of them. I mean, but you gotta understand. He didn't care about he didn't care about Viacom. Fox is where most of his money come from, and they was gonna you know let him go. So he had to apologize to Fox, not Viacom. He, he didn't care about Viacom. But just to apologize, number one, okay, when it, when we're talking about the speech or the thing that he said, I looked up the word anti-Semitic. I don't think he said anything anti-Semitic. He didn't. He did. But he worked for no. a white man. And I looked that word up to make sure. And I went back and listened to it again. And I don't, I didn't hear him say one negative thing. And look, that cop, y'all hear today about him saying he was going to kill it. He thought suicide thoughts because all that's been going on and stuff. And yeah, they said he, yeah. So that's, that, that messing with him mentally. You know, oh, welcome to the black person. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> How you feel about Taisha? I know kind of. With that, um, I think what what um Sister Jess was saying is like like we have to switch switch it up. We we can be one way around our people, but then when we go outside of our circle, we have to you know become something else. And I must say. Our parents did not prepare us for this. You know, our parents told us to go out and get a good job, but they didn't <laughs> teach us how to, you know, file an EO, uh, EEOC complaint or how to report discrimination, how to report hostile work environments. But they told us to go out and get a good job, though, but they didn't prepare us for what is going to happen. And we were very, you know, unprepared to go out and survive in a place where there is, you know, racism, white supremacy within the workplace, how you are targeted and how there are hostile work environments. So that mess with your mental, you know, if, if anything. Um, but I must say, the more and more I've learned my value and I've learned more about myself and how marketable I am and also how much money I do make an employer versus how much I can make for myself, it has made me very, very confident and at times cocky on, you know, where I'm like, okay, I am accepting this kind of behavior for this amount of, amount of pay. So it's really pushing me to, you know, you know really separate myself from the hostile work environment and have my own peaceful environment. I go and I pay for this lovely place to live and that's peaceful, make it peaceful to go into a hostile work environment. So it's making me see like I need to push myself towards my peaceful environment and, and built for myself. And as a result, my mental health has improved tremendously the more and more I'm away from hostile, hostile places where I'm not welcome, you know? Exactly, I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm gonna push the, the 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 movement on a little bit. Um, coming up on Rose, you bring it to the table, um, and also to our sister, Miss Taisha, um, the fact of racism and discrimination. So this is kind of tagging on a little bit of what we were talking about. We're bringing it out of the workplace, and now we're just talking about it in general. How do you feel like racism and discrimination is it causes some type of mental illness? Um, within our culture? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> racism, I'm, I'm gonna speak for the, I'm gonna speak for the men because I, I'm, I'm sure that it affects them a lot more than women. That's what I'm gonna, that, you know, like I, I'm, I'm gonna just say, I haven't experienced that much racism in my life, um, you know, cause I stay in my little bubble. But um, <laughs> when, when, when it comes to men okay. though, 
you know, what I remember when a, a, a man told me when he started his business, he said, listen, um, women, we can go out there and get it. We can start businesses and it won't be no problem. It's the men because they have three strikes against them. The fact that they're black, the fact that they're a man, and they're a black man. That's three strikes. So yeah. in order for it's them like to maneuver through. I, guess she, I think she wanted to say something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, oh, no, no, I was counting them down. I already knew what you were going to say. Just, just, just count them down. <laughs> yes. Right? The fact that they're Black, the fact that they're a man, and then they're a Black man. You know, in, in a, a, a white-dominated, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men world. You know, so it, it makes it hard for them to, one, the stresses of family, because, you know, men are the, the head of the household. And having to maintain a household and then going out there in the trenches, having to fight, you know, you know, war on racism and discrimination and them being a man and them being a black man and all that, all that stress on them can be can be a cause of mental health. And I believe with racism and discrimination that that, that men have to face every single day, every single day, whether it's at the job, whether it's people in the street, whether it's even our own kind that can be a load on a man. So yeah, that can contribute to uh, mental health. Wow. What do you have to say about that, Ms. Um, Taisha? What, what, what would you add on that? And then we're gonna quickly move on to the next one. Yes, absolutely, really quick. And to put the, the focus on our brothers, our black men, what they had to go through ever since infancy, you know, all the way up until their, their, their school age, they are the most uh, suspended, disciplined, you know, first to put on, you know, psychotropic drugs, you know, just put all this pressure on them to survive in a system that was not made for them. Then they have to go out and, and you know, find work in the system that already is, you know, out to get them. Uh, uh, brother Nookie can, you know, uh, uh, attest to this. In the military, you have to wear your hair a, sh a certain way. They have to shave their, their face, even though risking permanent scarring and damage, you know, and so it's, all, and so they're, they're forced to accept all this, you know, and they have nowhere to release it at, you know, so, you know, unfortunately, we have some brothers who, who, who turn to, you know, recreational drugs and vices, but, you know, it, it helps starting right here with us understanding what our brothers are going through and standing side by side with them as black women we can go unload a lot on our brothers they take a lot they take a lot from us but you know we have to be understanding of what the world is putting on our black men and no one has a harder job on this planet and try to just establish their existence than the, the black man I see you <laughs> all right that is great i'm gonna leave that right there because that right there is gonna lead us into um basically we're gonna jump a topic and we're gonna move right into um because i broke down terms under what we're talking about when it comes to mental health and this one is really geared towards the stigma that is centered around black men so you know, we got two brothers on here first. I'm gonna let one of y'all lead with it. Do you feel like this is causing some of the issues um, within our culture and our community? I'm gonna let D take this wheel on this one. Are you saying, brother Steve? I, I was saying, like, do you think black men are ashamed to talk about mental illness? Because a lot of guys know they had it growing up. You know, like, even, you know, you know, something wrong. 
but you get in a relationship with a woman and you always notice like he it might be an abusive relationship but he never told her that you know something let's say in his past he got abused or something like that or his father might have had the same you know hereditary mm-hmm. thing we're talking about you know he never mentioned it and then they, by the time you figure out what's going on it's too late so a black man ashamed talking about mental illness i mean and that asks you, you know. <laughs> Right. I don't think a lot of guys, I don't know why our men, well, I'm going to put the question out there. I don't know why our men don't want to talk about it more. And then I'm going to give my answer for it. And I think it's because as women, we're not, we don't bring a sense of comfortability for our men to feel like they could be vulnerable in our midst. I think they feel like we're going to judge them. We'll, we'll say, okay, yeah, tell us what the problem is and then come back and judge them later. I think if a woman I, within our culture, I, I, I think if our women created more of a safety net for our men, they definitely would feel more comfortable being vulnerable and being able to come to us when they are having these conflictions. Am I, am I reaching or? No, you sound true. Yeah. So how do you feel about that, Ms. Taisha? The stigma around black men and mental health. Um, absolutely agree. And I think it's more of when the brothers, you know, trust in us and, and give us that they're open open up to us. It's not a matter of us judging them. It's a matter of us twisting it and throwing it back in their face. You know what I'm saying? Like, you up here crying, you weak. You know, we can't do that. And we're going to say, hey, this is a safe place. I'm here to, and not to, you know, take advantage of them when they're in a, this this mental, you know, place and turn it into an entanglement. That's not for us to do, you know, but, you know, to really offer, you know, <laughs> constructive help, <laughs> constructive help, and also be that, that safe place and guard them, but yet ensure them that, yeah, we still see you as that, that strong leader, that strong warrior, get back out there and do what you have to do, but, you know, just recharge that battery and they do do, do the same for us. Right. I, I think overall, we just need to, as, as black women, we need to create more of a safety bubble for our men. Um, okay. So moving on really quick, um, so we can get everybody's handles in and black owned shop, um, business shout outs and, um, I just want to touch on this for one second because we we focused on the black men. So in this particular um, instance, when it comes to uh, black women and their mental health issues, I find that a lot of women have a problem with being, not have a problem with, but the mental illness comes from being the head of household. Um, Have you guys heard about this or no? Uh Uh-uh. No. Okay, well, being that I'm ahead of a household, I'll go ahead and go ahead and comment on that. <laughs> this shit is stressful. <laughs> Just saying. Like, um, I, I, when I saw this, I was like, whoa, you know, I, you know, I can totally understand how being the head of household as a woman, a black woman, can cause mental illness. It causes anxiety. You, you, you're stressed out. You feel abandoned. Um, so all of these things can contribute, in my opinion, to a woman. I can see how it can cause some type of bipolarism and all these type of things. Because when you're the head of the household, especially when you have multiple children, it everything literally is on you. How do you feel about that, Miss Taisha? 
very sensitive. And I thank you for sharing, you know, when my parents divorced, my mother, you know, she, she saw just, just how tough it was, you know, she married to have the family, but you know, it just that we were not meant to go it alone. We weren't. And, you know, that's what I would say we can form our, our small circles and our villages. I absolutely agree with sister, um, sister Sharzad Ali, who said, you know, our black men, you know, have to take on more than one family. You know, if you are a woman with a husband, you know, the jealousy is not there because if this man is taking care of multiple families, he has no time to be promiscuous. He's 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 contributing constructively to helping out other families. And if there's a sister, you know, where something happens where she has, you know, children who need a male figure in their life and he step, steps up, that's that's honorable. So we can lessen this burden on, on each other by having more of a village, you know, mindset and behavior. Absolutely. I totally agree. All right, so I want to thank everybody for this great conversation. Um, I feel like we covered a lot of things, and hopefully we got some things out there and some great people reading and um, some green waves going, so maybe some people could come up with solutions or look at their own personal homes or themselves. So hopefully this has reached somebody that it can help. Okay, with that being said, I forgot to make the announcement in the beginning, um, but it does go along with what we're talking about. Um, this month is National Black health mental health awareness month so with that being said um our whole crew created the are you okay challenge and this basically is the challenge that we have with on our page you go sign up for the petition and basically you're petitioning to make sure that you reach out to one person every day and we're not talking about through social media maybe a phone call or a drop by and it should be a person that you haven't spoken to for a while and the reason why we decided to come up with this as a group was to promote community awareness and development and health within our own culture. We feel like it's very important for people to check on one another. Just don't look at us on social media and think that we're okay. Call and check to find out if they are okay. Your one call, your one drop by could be that one thing that could save or help somebody's life. All right. So with that being said- You know what? I'm sorry. You know what? We should actually make that a day. We should make that a national day. Yeah. That petition should go to making yeah. that a national day and adopt it. I don't, maybe we can talk about it and see how we can do it. The Are You Okay Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great, I think it's a great thing. I really do. We'll, we'll see what we can do about that. All right. So with that being said, we're going to move into um, starting with our whole, our, our guest, Ms. Taisha Essex. Um, give us your handles. What do you have going on? Where can we find you? And then also your Black-owned business shout out. All right, you can find me at Taisha Essex. My name is TaishaEssex.com, Taisha Essex on YouTube. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can also find my self-defense, my, self my, my personal defense gear at Taimonics.shop. Go ahead and head over there. And for this month, use the code JUSTICE and save 10%. My Black-owned business shout-out is to Black-owned clothing in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, as Cat Williams described it, the ugly, dirty city of Cincinnati. Black-owned is the first Black-owned company that I actually knew about, and they were based out of my hometown. So each time I go there, I pick up some clothing and rep, rep them well wherever I go around the world. So plus also too, tonight it's an honor to be here with this Black-owned company and all these 
brilliant minds, my, my fellow brothers and sisters. I thank you so much. Right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, go moving on to Ranting Rose. Who, where can we find you? What do you have going on? And who's your Black-owned business? Shout out. Okay, well, you guys can, um, you guys can find me on uh, Your Credit Goddess on Instagram and uh, Facebook. And then you also can check me out on uh, www.yourcreditgoddess.com. Um, I offer all financial services from student loan consolidations to uh, personal and business credit, um, budgeting, anything financial, you can definitely check me out. Now my um, black owned business, um, I wanna go ahead and give a shout out to TZ Hair Essentials. Um, she offers uh, hair oils. Actually, she is right here, and I want her to give you a shout out. Her name is Taz. <laughs> What's up? Hi, everyone. Yeah, hey, that's my hair, Justin. All right, well, let her give her a shout out. We got yeah. a live yeah, shout, give out. shout out. Hi. Um. Well, my name is Taz. I'm coming from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm down here in Miami, Florida, taking over. But um, yeah. Um, my business is called TZ Hair Essentials. I also just uh, started my real estate company, um, Global Gold. So um, check me out. Um, what else is there? If you want to get your hair done, you know, I take care of all natural hair. I'm a hair care specialist. So, you know, even a beard, I get the beards together too. I got beard oils for you guys. Hey, 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 yeah. We're going to have to have her on this show. <laughs> right, right. See, I'm, I just joined. So I'll see you guys shortly. All right, thank you. All right, um, let me give you, let, um, where can we find you? What you got going on? Now, just to let everybody know, D has been sick the whole time, so. Uh, <laughs> I, I stuck it in, y'all, stick it out. You. <laughs> so um, yeah. you sure did. Tell yeah, us what um, you got going on, where we can find you, and um, your shout out for tonight. Okay, well, um, check me out on My Games Uncut podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor Radio, Apple Radio, and we, I got my group page too. And you can check me out on uh, D, the Real D Maze on Instagram, and in my my black own my black owned business shout out is Cheesecake by Courtney. He's out of Tennessee, but he moved here to the ATL. You can check him out at Cheesecake by Courtney on Instagram. And uh, yeah, he got some big. I mean, Tallahassee cheesecake. He's real good. I, he, I think he's stepping Marietta, but yeah. Everybody try to eat a dago cheesecake. Hey, the brother has some good stuff. I don't eat them, man. I am. Thirty pounds. <laughs> but I'm gonna. I got a bunch of them. I give him shout out because I train him too high. <laughs> All right, Nookie T, it's your turn. What you got going on? Where can we find you? And your black-owned business shout out, please. Uh, you can find me here on Facebook. <laughs> Also started a new page called Nuki Thomas on Facebook. I'll be sending out um, invitations soon to that. We're still building that one up. Um, also, my black-owned business this year, I got a lot, <laughs> a lot of them. So I'm just going to run out for right now. <laughs> I know, right? So I'm going to holler out to Aisha Reed of Fluffy Cakes. You can actually catch her on IG at um, Fluffy Cakes. She does cakes and dessert and Fluffy, F-L-U-F-F-Y, cakes with a K-A-K-E. So check her out, Aisha Reed, y'all. Okay. All right, cool. All right, and everybody should be already. I'm just Shayna. You can find me right here every day on my own page with Madness and Mayhem. You can also see us on our fan page, discussion with Shayna and friends every day. I'm not going to give my Black-owned business shout-out today because my final thought is going to be from the late and illustrious John Lewis. So I really want to read this 
and this is going to be my final thought, and then we're going to log off. All right, so this is from the late John Lewis. You all know he was a civil rights um, activist. He was um, a part of the Senate. So he was just a real house power to help our people behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. So as my final thought, I'm going to read um, one of his inspirational civil rights um, quotes, okay? So it says, take a long, hard look down the road you will have to travel once you have made a commitment to work for change. Know that this transformation will not happen right away. Change often takes time. It rarely happens at once. In the movement, we didn't know how history would play itself out. When we were getting arrested and waiting in jail and standing in unmovable lines or the courthouse steps, we didn't know what would happen, but we knew it would happen. Use the words of the movement to pace yourself. We used to say that ours is not the struggle of one day, one week, or one year. Ours is not the struggle of one judicial appointment or presidential term. Ours is the struggle of a lifetime, or maybe even many lifetimes. And each one of us in every generation must do our part. And if we believe in change we seek, then it is easy to commit to doing all we can because the responsibility is ours alone to build a better society and a more peaceful world. So with that being said, I'm gonna leave it off with our illustrious John Lewis. May he rest in peace. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this evening. Ms. Taisha Essex, we definitely have to have you back. You've been oh, more yeah. than a pleasure. My whole crew looking. Um, B and Rose, I'm really humbled that everybody came and y'all have a good night. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>